Hi, hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical, non-denominational convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. As a non-denominational evangelical Christian, I didn't know a lot about the roots of my Christian faith. Sure, I had the Bible and a picture of the church from the New Testament, but what about the intervening 2,000 years? It was when I began to look into the history of the Christian church that I inevitably encountered Catholicism. And when I encountered Catholicism and began to read Catholic authors and listen to Catholic speakers, I realized that what I knew about what Catholics believed and what the Catholic church fundamentally said it was— was wrong. This podcast serves to fill in that gap. The gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. I have real Catholic conversations with influential Catholic thinkers from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this episode is an absolute doozy. I'm joined by not one, but two guests both Catholic converts, to talk about Mary. I'm calling it A Convert's Guide to Mary. And I promise you this, this conversation is one for the record books. It is simply fantastic. My guests are Dr. Daria Little, a Muslim convert to the Catholic faith, and Keith Nestor, a convert who spent 22 years as an absolutely on-fire evangelical pastor before his ultimate conversion to the Catholic faith. We talk Mary, the stereotypical ultimate stumbling block for most non-Catholic Christians. And what a fantastic conversation it is. This podcast is brought to you in part by Select International Tours. Have you considered how a pilgrimage might bolster the faith of your parish? Do you have a group of 10 people or more that might travel on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, Guadalupe, the shrines of France, Italy, Ireland, Eastern Europe, or follow in the footsteps of Paul in Greece? If you do, then you should definitely reach out to Select International Tours. They have helped thousands of people organize pilgrimages for over 33 years and they want to help you plan yours, too. Visit selectinternationaltours.com slash cordial to learn more. That's selectinternationaltours.com slash cordial. This podcast is also brought to you by my generous patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. Running this show is not my full-time job, not even my part-time job, and every dollar helps to keep this thing going, to help with the mission of evangelization, and allows me to spend more time doing it all. Please do pray for me. Please pray for our listeners, and you have my prayers as well. But if you'd like to help out financially, even one or two dollars a month goes a long way. As a thank you, all patrons get access to a special behind-the-scenes podcast, as well as early access to certain episodes and coming soon bonus content as well. Patrons that can give $5 a month or more are also automatically entered into monthly contests for free books. 
Thanks for your support, guys. That's at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. And now, without any further ado, here's my fantastic conversation, A Convert's Guide to Mary. Please listen and enjoy. (laughs) Hi, friends, and welcome back to The Cordial Catholic. I am extremely thrilled to introduce not one, but two guests for this very special episode of the podcast. This is A Convert's Guide to Mary, and it's going to be such a fantastic conversation. I can't even wait. My first guest is Daria Little. Raised in Turkey, Daria grew up in the Muslim faith before becoming an atheist as a teenager and ultimately finding her home in the Catholic Church. She has a PhD in political science from Durham University. She is a writer, a speaker, and the author of From Islam to Christ, One Woman's Path Through the Riddles of God from Ignatius Press, and just recently released, and I must say I've read it and it's fantastic, A Beginner's Guide to the Traditional Latin Mass. She was my guest on this podcast way back when, over 30 episodes ago, and I'm very excited to have her back today. Daria, welcome back to The Cordial Catholic. Oh, thank you very much, Keith. Thanks for having me again. Very excited. I'm also joined by Keith Nestor. Keith is an evangelical convert to Catholicism. He spent 22 years working in full-time ministry as a pastor and youth pastor before making his way into the Catholic faith. Keith has an extremely popular YouTube channel, due in no small part to his fantastic hair, and is the author of a wonderful new book just out, The Convert's Guide to Roman Catholicism, Your First Year in the Church. Keith, as a father of two small kids who I'm at home with right now taking care of, your book had a special place of prominence in my household when I first got a copy. It was the bathroom. Because, of course, that was the only place I could get any alone time for even a second during the day. Keith, welcome back to The Cordial Catholic. I'm so pleased to have you as well. Thanks for having me, Keith. I'm glad to hear I provided you some uh, entertainment in your uh, (laughs) endeavors in the bathroom. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, it's just reality, isn't it? (laughs) I get it. I completely understand. (laughs) Look, uh, it's good to be here. I'm glad you're both here. I'm, I'm really excited to get underway here because this is a topic I think there's so much room for for discussion. And I'm excited to bring together the, the perspectives of, of three converts, uh, you know, two people who I respect and admire and enjoy speaking to, to, uh, to talk about this fantastic topic. And I got to say, I, uh, this was the topic that, that I taught at the RCIA class that I coordinate for my parish just last night, Mary. And so I'm fresh, I'm fresh with all this in my mind, ready to engage this topic and, uh, 
really excited to get underway with you guys. So I, I think I'll start with with you, Derry, if I can. And I'm, I'm wondering, as a, a non-Catholic, I mean, even as a non-Christian, uh, when you first began um, in your faith journey, uh, what was your view of Mary? I'm wondering. And then I guess, what sources kind of informed that view for you early on of who Mary was? Well, in Islam, Mary is one of the most respected women. Um, it, it, it's it's interesting because one of the things Muhammad really wanted to do was to make sure that everybody knew that Jesus wasn't God. So he always would refer to Jesus as Jesus, son of Mary. So Mary's name is the most mentioned uh, uh, woman's name in the in the Quran, which is I think it's funny because that's I think Our Lady's way of kind of putting herself in there, you know, he, she kind of, I think, used it. So um, as, as a result, Mary is really respected in Muslim countries. Like I grew up knowing him as Mariam Anna, which means Mother Mary. So, and her house in Ephesus is really, uh, is like a pilgrimage spot, not only for Catholics and Christians, but also Muslims. So it's kind of really a mixed bag for me. Uh, growing up and after, after I became an atheist of course it really didn't matter like you know it just all I thought these were all silly fairy tale kind of things and as a Protestant which um, I don't know it, it was the same with Keith but Mary is always kind of pushed aside she's ever mentioned during Christmas <laughs> and just even that is barely and um, not until I became Catholic actually I learned about um, the importance of um, Our Lady. So um, I wasn't really exposed to her the way um, it should have been. I just kind of knew of her, if if that makes sense. Yeah, it's really interesting how how she's she's so prominent in uh, in in Islam, and I like that you're 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 digging that that's maybe her way of getting herself in there, getting people to, to know who she is. It is. I mean, it's amazing. He's like he's held above. Uh, any other woman and you kind of when you stop and actually think about it you're like why why, I mean, why do you even care who's jesus's mom is you know but they do and it's, it's because of that and i think you know she's kind of mischievous that way it's the same when i learned about our lady of fatima i'm like uh do you guys know this is one of muhammad's daughter's name like what what, what is this and then i learned about the apparitions and everything i'm like she's done it again so you know just so I think it's like, I'm going to get all the Muslims eventually. But yeah, she's very well respected, you know. Um, and I think that helped a lot. And I think that's one of the reasons Catholic Church has um, has a really good uh, starting point if they want to evangelize Muslims. But so we can talk about it in another way. But yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting. And, you know, I've I've been to that, that spot in uh, in Ephesus, right? You talked about the, the supposed location of, of Mary's house. I've been there before right. I was even Catholic. I went uh, on, a, on a cruise once with my family and we ended up there and did a little tour. And I, I had such mixed feelings as a Protestant going there because I thought this, this doesn't seem <laughs> right, us giving Mary any special treatment. But at the same time, I, I felt a strange sense of of peace and <laughs> tranquility there. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I shouldn't say I don't know what it was. I think I know what it was now in hindsight, but it was a pretty interesting experience going there as a, as a Protestant, as I guess it would be um, in, in a Muslim context as well. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the things that makes sense to us is 
as simple as we are, like we all respect our mothers. And like in, in Muslim countries, mothers are like, it's very, you know, in a bad way, patriarchal, you know, men are always above women. And, um, but you, you always respect your mother. Right. So it makes it makes sense in a Muslim understanding that, of course, if I respect my own mother, of course, a prophet like Jesus would, too. So it, it really makes sense. Actually, what doesn't make sense is the Protestant underplaying of it. In a way, isn't that funny that like Muslims get it better <laughs> than <laughs> than any, anybody else? But yeah, no, it's it's a beautiful place. Ephesus is a beautiful city. And yeah, but it's yeah, it's a blessing to have her there one of these days he's gonna she's gonna convert all the turks i know it (laughs) (laughs) all right so so keith nestor what about what about you what was your perspective on mary as a non-catholic christian well it basically was you know i would say the stereotypical protestant lack of a perspective of mary i mean honestly we i didn't really give her much thought um i considered her to be part of God's plan, but only in as much as she was chosen by God based on what he wanted to do. And once she gave birth to Jesus and raised him, then I didn't really feel like she was really, you know, worth paying too much attention to. And, and of course I had my, all, all of the stereotypical Protestant objections to what I saw in Catholicism. So for me, it was all about, well, where's all that in the Bible? And the only thing you see in the Bible is, you know, from my perspective was at the time seeing, you know, Jesus downplaying her, for example, in John chapter two, you know, when he says, woman, what have I to do with thee?" when she asked him to make the water into wine, I took his response as kind of a disrespectful quip to her, which of course makes no sense now. Um, And then, you know, of course, there's another text where they come to Jesus and say, your mother and brothers are here. And he says, ah, whoever's my, does the will of my father is my mother. And And so I took, I took some of that stuff and just sort of used that as a way to not pay much attention to her. Yeah, I think it's interesting what what Daria said about uh, the difference between the Muslim view and the Protestant view, because I had this similar view as, as you did, Keith, this downplaying of... Uh, of Mary, of her role. Yes, she was important. Yes, she came out at Christmas in the nativity scene. We, we brought a little figure of Mary and or pushed her on the stage, you know, at, on at this uh, at church, but but significantly downplayed. And, and it, you know, it came from things um, like that reading of uh, of the wedding at Canaan, where Jesus calls her her woman. Which of, course, which of course, if you dig into the the roots of that uh, that expression and what that symbolizes, and, and, and from the Old Testament, and as the new Eve, I mean, there's we can go into this more more later, but there's so much in there that of what Jesus is actually saying. But we took the, the surface level of a woman that that's an insult. He's he's downplaying her. He's he's pushing aside his brothers and sisters and, and mother. Um, you know, we really saw her as just this young girl who played a role in the salvation story, but 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 that was it, right? Like you said, like she did her part, and then that was kind of it. We didn't even really use her uh, in my faith traditions as as the example she should have been. You know, for young women, we could, we could have held her up at, in the least as an example of a woman who said yes in her faith. But it was almost as if we were. 
um, allergic to to giving her mm, too much yeah. prominence, right? Because that was what the Catholics did, and we're not Catholic, so we got to really downplay her role as as much as possible. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I think a lot of the view I had um, came from listening to people who were reacting to what they thought was uh, wrong theology from the Catholics. So, you know, they swung way far the other way. And then it was almost like when you would hear those scriptures taught, it was just presumed. Now, hey, we have to tell you, here's why the Catholics are wrong about this. And then now we'll talk about what these verses say. But you start off the, the conversation with, we already know that the Catholics are way, way wrong about this. So whatever they believe, we have to start with that being the false view. So when you, I mean, and for me, I didn't care. I didn't know. I was just like, okay, whatever, you know? So that just sort of stuck. I had no other reason to, to give it a second look. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, Daria, when you first began to uh, look into Christianity, I know that you began um, looking into the, the Protestant church. Did you, were you kind of, were you surprised to, to see how those first Christian groups that you encountered uh, viewed Mary in light of how you'd seen her viewed in the, uh, in the Muslim tradition? Was that kind of a bit of a shock to see her being downplayed like that? I think a little it was considering how well respected she is in you know in Muslim countries, especially you know in Turkey. But on a personal note, I didn't care as much because I had a really bad relationship with my own mother, so I didn't quite um, know how to handle Mary anyway, and that was like a problem even after I became Catholic. And um, so I'm like, okay. I don't understand why she's not that important, even though she seems to have given birth to son of God. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it seems really important. Um, but I didn't question it too much because of how broken my own past was with my own mother. And I think this happens to a lot of people. If they have, they didn't have a good relationship with they, with their own mother, they always have a problem like Marian um, devotions or apparitions or like feeling closer to her. Um, and I think that was my experience for a long time. So that's why I didn't really question it. But looking back, of course, what Keith said is so true. Like it doesn't really make sense. And considering um, especially like where did the, um, the, where did the disciples get the accounts of nativity, right? Like, you know, clearly they talk to her. It's not, you know, so she was always in there in the background. If you really thought about how the Bible was written, how the gospels were written. Um, but I think as Keith said, most Protestants, they didn't even want to go there because it's too Catholic. No. So that was the same way with me. Yeah. It's, it's important to think of a role in, I mean, now that I am Catholic and have done some reading on this and digging into the, the roots of the church and understanding of Mary throughout the history of the church, um, it, you know, it's, it's like you say, it's pretty obvious, and, and scholars would point to this, that she did play a major role in the earliest church. Uh, some of the information we have in the Gospels, uh, I think especially in, in Luke's Gospel, uh, had to have come. I mean, you have you have inner 
inner monologue, inner the inner dialogue that Mary is having. It had to right. have come from. Right? How do you know? Yeah, it had yeah. to have come from 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 her, right? Right. Yet yeah. she get her role is so downplayed. Um, in 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 Protestant groups, we you know we don't we we. <laughs> it's just it's it's remarkable, and I I don't know exactly. I mean, I I can't in my own um, in my own faith tradition trace out exactly uh, when that would have began because certainly if we look at the history of the church, Mary was very prominent. I mean, up until the Reformation, but even even beyond the Reformation, in some of the 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 Reformed um, Protestant groups, still still saw Mary as an important figure in the church. But then you you, you zip down, you know, five hundred more years to our Protestant churches here in North America. And it is just as this, this allergy. I don't know if it's just an allergy to uh, any kind of idolatry. We want to avoid any kind of uh, semblance of putting anybody before God, maybe. I don't know, Keith, if you can pinpoint it better than I can, I can but I certainly as I grew up in an evangelical setting, I mean, it was just one of these things that wasn't even on our radar. And I don't, don't quite know why. Well, I think that it's, you know, it is one of those things where it is hard to pinpoint, you know, it's hard to understand where all that stuff comes from. And, you know, I think that for different people, they have different responses because let's say you have a person who was raised Catholic and then they, they came out of the, at the Catholic church, they, they might be told, well, <clears throat> everything that you were taught about Mary is obviously wrong. Whereas other people kind of like me, we just didn't hear about it, you know? So it's just, it just seems like this other world. And, and it just doesn't, it just didn't make sense to me. Like, why do the Catholics, why do they care so much about her? Why do they spend so much time on her? I mean, and, and it wasn't hard for me to fit into my theology, this allergy you're talking about, because, you know, of course, we want to be centered on Christ. We want to be centered on Jesus. And, and to, to give anybody else that kind of attention seemed just inappropriate, you know, from the, from the, from the beginning. So it's just, it's just, it was a, it wasn't just like a thing about Mary. It was almost like this paradigm that was different in the, in the Protestantism that I came from anyway. It was that you don't worry about anybody. I mean, we didn't know about the saints. We didn't know about, a lot of the extra biblical um, fathers of the church or things like that, that just wasn't our, our world. Our, our world was the new Testament. And if it wasn't in that box, then we really had no time for it. It's almost like a misunderstanding of who God is because you, um, I, I just remember with my Protestant friends, it was like, God would be so upset if you really talk to Mary or other people. But, um, you know, it's like he's so capricious and, you know, jealous. Like, you, you can't talk to anybody else. You just got to talk to God and no one else, um, especially up in heaven. So there was just this as if, like, death separated suddenly everybody, you know. Like, you can ask your friends to pray for them, but you can't ask Mary or the saints. And... Um, and that one of the things I've read recently about how God is this, you know, artist and Mary is his masterpiece. And as an artist, 
like he wants people to look at his masterpiece and enjoy it and appreciate it, you know? And I thought maybe that's like a way to explain uh, Protestant brothers and sisters, like, look, it's not because he's jealous, like this is his masterpiece. What he couldn't do, what didn't happen with Eve happened with Mary. So it's like, that's why she's the crown of all creation, you know? So, I think it's just a misunderstanding of who God is. And because of, as Keith said, because they are kind of stuck um, in the New Testament without any tradition. No, it's just just the letter of the book without like any background. And I think that's why that where that they they are where they are in regards to in regards to Mary. Yeah, I think of my, my own experience. This I mean this for me is one of those stories that just highlights that idea of, of stuck in the New Testament and kind of ignoring those other things. I mean, I remember one Sunday morning talking about um, the story where they draw lots to appoint Matthias as the uh, the apostle to replace Judas. And the punchline for the, the sermon was, you know, oh, we never heard of him ever again. He just disappeared. Because he's not mentioned in yeah, the they Testament. <laughs> right? right. Yeah, they, they, where they made, they made a mistake. I remember I remember hearing that in a sermon a couple times, like, oh, well, clearly the disciples, they, they messed this one up because Paul was supposed to be the 12th apostle. And, you know, because we never hear from <laughs> Matthias ever again, that yeah. means that that was a bad move. Yeah. <laughs> Which, of well, course, is full of all done? kinds of problems. Well, and, and, and what for me was, was the kicker is I, lay, you know, I later, as I began looking into the Catholic Church, well, there's a whole history of where that, where that disciple went and what he, what he taught and where he died. Like, the Catholic Church has, you know, has a history of, of this person, but it's just not written down in the Acts of the Apostles, so I had no idea it existed. Like, that's how narrow focused we were yeah. on just the writings of the Bible. I think that's so fascinating that even, and that's just an example, but even, as you said, Keith, even the saints are kind of ignored, and then with that, we ignore Mary and all these other things, This the rest of this body of Christ, that uh, a proper understanding of of who God is and how we're incorporated in Christ I mean, those those are our, our the, the catechism. I read this yesterday to my RCIA class. Uh, these adult converts looking into the Catholic Church. Um, the, the the catechism calls those our companions. Like they're they are companions with us on the journey in the same way that we are as living Catholics, each other's companion. There's no separation there, as you mentioned, Daria. But but we ignored this as Protestants, and it was just wasn't. It's not directly in the New Testament, so we just kind of ignored all that stuff. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. And and I mean, and I know we can kind of get off track here, but, you know, you can look at some of those things and go, why did we think that? I mean, and I've had this conversation with lots of lots of people who've, you know, struggled with my conversion. And they're like, well, the Catholics are, you know, you shouldn't pray to Mary. You shouldn't pray to dead saints because that's wrong. The saints can't hear you and, and, and this and that. And, you know, it's like, it's like, this light goes off and I go, wait a minute, who, who was Jesus talking to on the Mount of Transfiguration? You know, <laughs> who, who, who was up there? And what do we do with, with chapter 12 of Revelation where we see Mary crowned in heaven and we see all these things? Now, it's funny because I'll, I'll have some people that will throw things on my YouTube channel in the comments, you know, and, and they'll just randomly throw out, well, you do realize that Revelation 12 is not about Mary. And like, that's the whole comment completely. Out of, and it's like, oh, well, how do you know that? You know, <laughs> where do we go for things? But it, 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 again, it's, it's not so much about 
just the Marian stuff that I think is important to think about as 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 Catholics. It's it's the idea that there's a there's a, a paradigm that has to be shifted in order to understand. And once you begin to have your eyes opened and that paradigm shift changes, then it's kind of like, oh well, duh, you know. And then when you and then and then there's so many things that make sense to you that didn't make sense before that kind of had you going, well, if only I could get rid of my my prejudice and my presupposition about those texts and be open to a different point of view, then I could see things differently. And, you know, that that was very eye-opening to me anyway. Yeah, I, I think one thing that was huge for me in that respect, once my paradigm began to shift as an evangelical, was, was the idea, well, <laughs> How how uh, powerless is Christ over death if I die and suddenly I'm just completely cut off from all other Christians in the body of Christ? I mean, once you know, I thought that for a long, long time. I remember bringing bringing um, some of those texts in Hebrews where it talks about the great cloud of witnesses. Yeah. We used to have a Sunday night. Uh, we called it a family um, a family Bible study at my Pentecostal church when I was. Uh, in early university and, and late high school. And I remember we it was this small little kind of chapel room, maybe 100 people, a bit more intimate than the main Sunday morning service. And we were going through Hebrews. And I brought that text, um, you know, that text was coming up that week. And so I know I had it in my Bible highlighted and, and some notes written down, ready to ask the, the pastor uh, this question. And he was, a, he was a hot shot. He was a big guy and a little intimidating, a little intimidating to me. I was a bit scared to ask the question. I remember... I asked him, you know, what does this mean? Like, who who is this cloud of witnesses? And uh, his answer was was effectively like, well, it doesn't matter. We don't care. And I was left, he, I was left a little bit like embarrassed for one thing because I was, you know, I do all this nerve to uh, to ask this question, and I thought it was a great question, and I crafted it, you know, really well. And the answer kind of was like, well, we don't, we don't know, but it doesn't really matter. Was was kind of the, just kind of waved off, but but you begin to look at how the church has always viewed passages like this, you know, and who, and who Christians are. And, and again, I come back to the idea of if, if, if I die and I am, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a Catholic and suddenly I'm just cut off from the rest of the body of Christ. I mean, Christ is supposed to have power over death. That's like the exact opposite of power over death. And I think that one thing explains a lot about how, how Catholics understand the idea of of speaking to saints or or being able to ask uh, saints or ask Mary to to pray for you because we believe that that, that Christ uh, had victory over death, not that we're cut off from these people. Yeah, it's um, I tell people I tell people we are just one giant family, and you know, dying doesn't really change that. If anything, they get you know closer to the source, so they can pray a lot more effectively than than we can. And I think that there's a great comfort in it if you explain it the way you did, Kate. You know, it's like, yeah, you're right. You know, it's just we are all still one, and you know, we still have Christ. And it's just, I think, I, I when I understood it as a Catholic, I'm like, this is great. There's a lot more of us, not just this mess. You know. <laughs> It's just there's a lot more saints up there who's, who's done it and, and know better. It was so, you know, encouraging, especially um, with Mary as a mother, you know, just to turn that Eve messed it up. But look, she fixed it and we are all good. And, you know, there's a triumph at the end. 
Okay, so Keith, I'm curious, as you began to approach the Catholic Church, and we did unpack actually both of your conversion stories, both Daria and Keith's conversion stories, on this podcast uh, back in the archives, if anybody is curious to dig into those in a fuller length. But I'm curious, as you began to approach the Catholic Church, was there a turning point in your relationship with Mary or how you understood her? Yeah, there was. I mean, when I was first exploring Catholicism, the Marian doctrines were, you know, troubling to me. But, you know, I had an experience where I kind of had to sort of walk through that. And it happened to me. I, I mean, I, and I've talked about this before, and I know that some people freak out about this, but I, I've been to Mejigoria a couple times. And the first time I went, I was, I was, you know, not even close to being a Catholic. I was I was very anti-Catholic, but I was talked into going by one of my friends. And I went over there with a bunch of people and saw all this stuff. And, you know, I didn't have angel feathers fall from the sky or anything when I was there, but it opened my eyes to the way, and I think everybody could agree with this. I think it, it opened my eyes to the way that Catholics who are who have a devotion to the Blessed Mother, how in love with Jesus that makes them. And I needed to see that in action before I could really comprehend that because, you know, I would be told things like, oh, well, you know, being, being close to Mary is all about Jesus. And I, I used to think, well, why not just skip the middle, the middle woman and go right to Jesus? Why do you need Mary? You know, what, if, if I can go to Jesus directly and Mary's an intercessor, okay, but it's just unnecessary. Well, when I saw the way that these Catholics – worshiped Jesus through Mary, like that experience went beyond my intellectual objections. So I thought that that was a turning point. Well, then a few years later, when I was finding myself really drawn towards Catholicism, I had to, uh, to wrestle with that because in our, in our church where I was pastoring, we were preaching a sermon series in Advent and I had to preach a sermon series basically about, you know, the Annunciation when when the angel Gabriel comes to to Mary and declares to her that, you know, she's going to give birth to a son. And when I was I was in the midst of some turmoil in my own denominational life and feeling drawn to Catholicism, but not sure what to do with the Mary stuff. And I started preparing this message about the Blessed Mother. And then like it hit me on an emotional level where when I would begin to read the texts and dig into them and, and, and work them up, I could just, something happened to me on a deeper level in my heart where I just, I could, I, I guess the best way to say it is I, I just felt her presence with me, you know, and I know that sounds weird to some people, but I just did. And, and I would get emotional and I would start to like get a little worked up and as I walked through that, I just decided, you know what, if, if the things that I'm believing about Catholicism are, are true, then I'm not going to put an obstacle there. I'm just going to lean into this. And once I sort of let that wall down, then she just, just came right through. And I began this relationship with, with her that was like nothing I ever would have thought possible. Well then, you know, after, after, um, some time went by, I, I just, all of a sudden, I just, those objections that I had before, they just didn't seem to matter anymore because I think what was happening was my paradigm was beginning to shift and then everything started making sense. So I, I had 
that emotional experience. But on top of that, the more I was being drawn into Catholicism, I was also learning things about, you know, well, the reformers and their views on Mary and my, my view that the Catholic church invented these doctrines about Mary in the middle ages or whatever, it was clearly falling apart that, that, uh, that objection because I was learning more and more about it. And I think that's, that's a real hard thing for a lot of Protestants to come to terms with is the fact that even these heroes of the Reformation, you know, so to speak, the, these men all believed a lot of the same things about Mary that the Catholics do. So, you know, you'd say things like, well, they were just kind of holding on to that. But the bigger question is, when did, when did we really decide to let that go? And as Protestants, when, when was that? And why was that? And it, I, I needed to find a better reason than, well, because the Catholics do it. So all of those things going through my brain, plus this emotional um, relationship and spiritual relationship I was beginning to to come into with her, that that was it, you know. And then I just sort of gave myself over to her and just said, hey, if you're, if you're a part of this deal, then I don't want this to be something I just sort of have to deal with. Because I talked to some people who were, you know, converts and they were sort of like, yeah, well, I converted to Catholicism and I just had to accept the Mary stuff, but... I, I don't really get into it. I don't pray a rosary. I don't really think about her. I just kind of go along with it, but it's not really my thing. I, I didn't want to be like that. I, I wanted to, to say, okay, if this is such an important part of what it means to be Catholic, I don't want to miss it. And I think, I think that when I brought that to her and into my journey towards Catholicism, you know, I just... I see. I saw and see so much beauty in, in Catholicism. I, I didn't want there to be anything I would miss, and and the way I saw these Catholics just relating to her and to Christ through her, man, I didn't want to miss out on that. <laughs> that's so. That's such an interesting perspective. The, the emotional uh, engagement first. I mean, I can I can think of. I kind of began as as you began with the idea that okay, so if the Catholic Church is right on all of these things, which I I thought they were, they must be right on Mary. So I was going to kind of go along with that, like like you said. But then I remember this fundamental turning point for for me, which was when. Um, you know, I was on this journey into the Catholic Church, and, and mm-hmm. I did a bad job of bringing my wife along, of, inc- of including her. She was an evangelical, too, and I, I could have done a much better job of letting her know what I was thinking and where I was. I kind of dumped on her plate one, one day, hey, I think I'm going to become Catholic. And <laughs> <laughs> that was, of course, the wrong way of doing it, but... Uh, we, we, had, we need to find out what the right yeah. way is. No one's told us that yet. <laughs> no. We'll keep looking. <laughs> but you know, we had this. We had a. We had an enlivened conversation one night, and she left the room, and, and I don't think came back that night. But uh, left with the idea of, um, and and a thing for her was was women in the church and how they're viewed and respected, and and. Um, you know, that was an issue that we were just kind of discussing in, in, a, in a lively fashion. And, um, and, and she left. And I, that was the first time I, I that night asked for Mary's intercession. You know, I, I kind of pray, mm. you know, if you're there, this thing is real. If this Catholic church is what it says it is, you know, pray for me. Like, you know, ask your son to, to, to answer these prayers and, and help me. And uh, the, the next morning when I saw my wife again, uh, she she just began to to quote all these these 
these documents and this stuff about about women in, in the church and and why the hierarchy exists and and the roles and 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 it turns out that she left and then spent the whole night reading documents from like Vatican II and like on Catholic websites and she ended up knowing more than I knew about this area of the Catholic Church. Um, and was like, did you know this and this and this? And they teach this and this is really cool. And she was totally into it. Um, and, and that was, you know, the first time where I'd asked Mary for any kind of help. Ended up just just opening this entire floodgate in our marriage and our interest in, in the Catholic Church. And, and my wife's journey into the Catholic Church, uh, her own journey, you know, I think in part was precipitated by this prayer, my first my first kind of a request of Mary to, to pray for us resulted in just this kind of landslide of, of, I don't know, the floodgates opening, whatever the metaphor is. It was, you know, it was it was pretty amazing experience. My, my very first kind of, kind of uh, I guess, Hail Mary. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, Daria, what was your uh, was there a turning point for you uh, in your relationship with with Mary and your understanding of who she was? Something that that stands out for you in in your journey? I, I think um, my mind is going to sound so cold hearted and boring, but <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I think when I understood that she was the new Ark of the Covenant, that was the like. It just so many light bulbs went off in my head and it just made so much sense. Like, um, it kind of made all other crazy Marian ideas <laughs> of the Catholic Church make sense because, um, because you go back and look in the, you know, Old Testament and you learn about the Ark of the Covenant and like, nope, you know, you couldn't just touch it. And, you know, you're like, it's just a chest man. What's the big deal? You know, it's like the good stuff is inside, but you know, clearly God didn't see it that way. And, um, anyway, so I just saw all these parallels with the all the Ark of the Covenant and Mary. And that really made sense because, you know, she, because she carried the new covenant and, and, um, I, it, it, that was the biggest turning point for me because, um, as I said, that, um, relationship with, her as a mother really came to me like you wouldn't believe this like I've been, I've been Catholic for I don't know 12 years now um after I became a mother like in that emotional connection which I think sometimes comes to men a bit easier uh with a mother um didn't come to me until I became a mother myself and I understood like how much she must truly love us and like intercede for us all the time. Like, you know, your simple prayer for your wife, she's like, of course, yes, you know, yes, I will pour all these graces out for her. You know, now I understand it. But I think like that first um, turning point was like just realizing who she was in in the salvation plan. You know, it's not like um, God just came up with these ideas. Like he's been playing the long game from the creation, you know, like he, he has this like beautiful story that led to Mary and his son. So that, that was a beautiful turning point for me and then becoming a mother. And now I feel so much closer to her after all these years I got here, but it it took a long time as it does with me. (laughs) Well, I like what you say about uh, understanding her role as say Ark of the New Covenant. I know that, uh, pretty early on, like pretty not too long after that experience I had with with my wife, I got um, I think it was first uh, 
Tim Staples' book from Catholic Answers, and then Scott Hahn's book, uh, Hail Holy Queen. Uh, and both of those books kind of outline who Mary is, uh, looking at Old Testament typology um, and and how the Catholic Church understands her. And once you begin to, I mean, this blew my mind. And, and I think the idea of her as the Ark of the New Covenant, if you if you look at um, the, the scriptural parallels between how, you know, how King David greets the Ark of the Covenant when it's brought to him in the <laughs> yes. Old Testament, right? And how Elizabeth greets uh, Mary when she comes for the visitation in the New Testament. I mean, I think that is just the best apologetic for understanding who Mary is. I just give that to any evangelical. Just read these two passages because they're, they're identical. Right. And if you begin to understand what the gospel writers are trying to do to show Mary as the new ark, if you understand her as the new ark, and that's just one of the ways the Catholic Church understands her, um, but I think it's the easiest to see those two parallels. If you understand that, that just right. explodes your understanding of, of of who Mary is. I mean, what was the ark? It was the, it was the vessel that contained, like, you know, the law and, and, and the and, – and you know, that God dwelled in, and then that ark was was this this very special and important thing. And I mean, it's just so fascinating. And that's funny that, that you say that, because that was one of the, the big things for me, too. Those those two books that kind of unpacked who Mary was, the new ark, Mary as the new Eve, like this, this new beginning with Jesus as the new Adam, the new beginning of this new kingdom that God is, is going to create. Um, those things for me, I mean, pretty quickly— once I understood her role in the Old Testament, uh, like, like that, that, that parallel, that linking of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and even some of these prophecies which indicated who she would be, I mean, Ryan. My, my prejudices against Mary uh, that I had as an evangelical kind of fell away once I began to actually read what the Bible said about her, right? Right. And nobody thought that David actually worshipped the ark, you know, it's like, uh, no, you know, like there is just, um, that's another thing, like, would you think David is worshipping the ark? Like, no, just like Catholics don't worship Mary, but we see the importance of this vessel, you know, the Lord, the Lord has chosen. Uh, we were doing this Jesse tree thing with our kids, you know, because it's Christmas time, and we were reading the, his, um, the account of the creation and it's just you read about Eve and you know what the Lord said in the in the garden you're like there's Mary it's just at the beginning of the Bible and just pointing all the way to the end and it's like she's always there and what's um what's beautiful with Mary is that she never like attracts attention to herself she's you know she's the most humble and um that's why, like, that's, I think, one of the reasons we just don't hear that much about her afterwards in the New Testament, because she's like, no, 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 it's not about me, write about my son, you know. So, and I think that's one of the reasons she was easy to kind of discard for um, for many. I mean, you know, knowingly or unknowingly, especially in the Protestant church, because she just never wanted the attention on herself. But, yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, though, it's, like, important to think about how, because I've heard that argument, too, like, oh, well, why don't we see the Apostle Paul giving her, you know, this or that or Peter? And I think a lot of that has to do just with sometimes it's historical. I mean, where was Mary? She was, from what we understand, she was with John, you know, brought into right. his home and with him, mm -hmm. which I find it very interesting that, you know, of all the things that's on Jesus' mind, you know, the words from the cross and then the words recorded in the in the scripture 
behold your behold your son, behold your mother. I mean, if all Jesus was doing was making sure she was materially cared for, I don't know that that needs to be put in the Bible, you know. But there, there's obviously something deeper going on there. But then when, to me, it all kind of comes together when, when you look at what happens in Revelation 12. I mean, when he sees that vision of the Ark of the Covenant and then behold, I see, I saw a woman. And I don't know how you get around that. I, I mean, I don't know how you look at that text and how someone could say that they know that isn't about the Blessed Mother. You know, I don't, I don't know how someone could do that. I mean, it's, it's obvious that it's, that it's her. And yeah, I understand that, that there are things that could be, have, have double meaning, but just because something has a double meaning doesn't mean that it doesn't have one of the meanings, you know? So someone's like, oh, well it's, it could be Mary, but it could also be Israel. Well, okay, but it is Mary. And it, I look at it like this. It's definitely Mary, but you could also think of it as the nation of Israel if you want, but there's no doubt that that's about Mary. And what is she? She's crowned with, with a, with a crown. She's standing on the moon. I mean, she's, she's enthroned and she's, she's, she's crowned there. And of course, when you think about the parallels you guys were making about the Ark of the Covenant, you know, that was all played a huge part in, in my, my thinking too, but also this idea of the queen mother, you know, how in the old Testament, Mm -hmm. it was, it was the queen mother who, who had the ear of the king and the place of the prominence next to the king, you know, because they, right. you know, that, that's the way it was. So that parallel is there also. And you think to yourself, hmm, if all of these things match up, and then, of course, you look back at the tradition of the church and, and the fathers and, and the early witness of, of the early Christians, why would we put, why would we turn our back on that? You know, there's more going on there. Why would we do that? And that's that's the question I think that we have to ask ourselves when we talk to people who who come against us. It isn't, well, why do you Catholics believe these strange things? It's rather, well, why do the Protestants, or, or more more importantly, why did the Protestants stop believing those things? And, and I think that because which position is more biblical? If we're going to talk about the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, you know, everything that we've talked about here tonight, it, it comes from the Bible. It wasn't it wasn't created out of thin air. It's it's we're talking about stuff in Scripture. And and when when did when did that stop being a thing? I think that's important to answer. Yeah, I think that's the uh, fundamental framing of, of the whole question, right? Because. It's true. Historically, this is something that was believed from the from the earliest church. I mean, one of the most interesting uh, things I, I find, one of the most interesting ways of explaining why Catholics have believed since the very beginning that Mary was assumed into heaven at the end of her life, um, uh, comes from the fact that even the earliest church, nowhere in the early church are there are there relics of Mary, right? There's there's relics of all the other saints, and I mean that's another topic for a different time. The, the freaky world of Catholic relics, but it does come from the, <laughs> from the very early church, like the earliest. I mean, I mean re- Peter's relics were placed at, in, in the altar of the first major Catholic church, which today is is St. Peter's, is the, the, at the Vatican, like the very earliest. Christians uh, understood that the 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 leftovers, the the bodies of 
um, other Christians had some kind of special grace from God because th- that person was part of the body of Christ. There's some kind of special grace in even their their bones or something, or something they touched. Like there's a there's a power in that. But yet, no no uh, remains of Mary were ever were ever kept or or venerated or 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 or, or placed somewhere. Because tradition shows us that from the earliest uh, Christians, they believed that Mary um, was one of the first among the resurrection with, with, with Christ, which makes sense if you understand her as the new Eve and the new Ark. And then, of course, uh, mm-hmm. is, is biblical, as you say, in the sense that it, we see her in, in, in heaven, in Revelation. Uh, you, know, you know, but, but – so this was the default. All that to say, this was the default view of the church up until the Reformation and beyond the Reformation. But then, then we as, uh, as evangelical Christians, as Protestants, uh, at least you and I, Keith, in, in, our, in our upbringing, we, we lost that somewhere. Somewhere uh, it was decided by some theologians or some denomination that this was something we have to kind of downplay and distance ourselves from. And then that becomes, that, that distancing becomes the de facto worldview that we're, we're a part of. Uh, even though that is that is a more new worldview, it becomes our default. Yeah, <laughs> you said it. You I know mean, that's the, it right there. I mean, yeah, but you know what? If I were the devil, I think I would do all my best to get rid of the woman. So um, you know, oh, for sure. It's, yeah, it's like just get rid of her. You know, it might take a few centuries, but we'll get there. Because I mean, it's just as you guys say, it's so interesting that he, she's almost like not referred at all. But hey, um, you know, because she, <clears throat> excuse me, he wanted to get rid of the woman who would crush his um, his head, um, and like imagine what graces are overflowing through her in the world right now. And evangelical Protestants, it's wonderful. They're, they do wonderful world work around the world. And I'm thinking they're missing all these graces they could have been receiving from her. You know, it's like the, you know, it's not just like one theologian do this, but it's also like the spiritual warfare and one theologian and two, two theologians. But yeah, I don't think devil really it's like yeah it's good she's gone this part now we gotta get rid of you know uh get rid of her in the catholic church if 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 at all possible because you kind of hear that in some catholic circles too like that downplaying of mary I'm like no no no, that's that's not what jesus wants he he wants his mother to be exalted like he's not so petty that he's going to be jealous of the um love his mother receives um from his followers, so yeah, yeah. That's actually that, that, that's quite a terrifying thought, in a sense. That, um, but I I think that's probably completely accurate. That the devil has a plan to kind of stash Mary away, at least from Protestant Christianity. I mean, of course, he, he he's gonna crush his head, so he's he's got to do something. I know, and I, I love it. My kids love it every time we go to a church. They see Mary, and she's like kind of like effortlessly stepping on. Satan said, like, really, this is really not that big of a deal. I'm like, yes. I mean, you know, because she's so humble and he's so proud. He's like, like I really don't care about Jesus for now. I just really want to get rid of this woman. You know, so that's what he does. That's what he goes after. And, you know, some parts he accomplished, but 
some parts he didn't and she keeps showing up all over the world still and it's just wonderful i hope she keeps showing up still <laughs> yeah i mean we haven't even touched on marian apparitions yet that's a whole other interesting thing i mean I, 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 wrote a, I wrote a blog post way back when in, in my journey as more of a thought experiment, but I mean, the, the provocative title was um, How Do Evangelicals Explain Lourdes? Because if, if Mary is present at Lourdes where all these miracles are, are happening, these, these verifiable, uh, scientifically impossible miracles are happening, and they're being credited to uh, the Blessed Mother, um, to, to Jesus through his mother, the, the, through the shrine, um, well then, how can that be the work of anybody but Jesus? And why would Jesus work through, if Mary isn't who she says she is, <laughs> or who the Catholics say she is, why would these miracles be happening, right? I mean, Satan, Satan's not, not healing people at, at Lourdes. He, that'd, be, that'd be counterproductive for, for his mission. So, so what's happening there, right? With, with, these, with some of these Marian apparitions, I mean, if Mary isn't who the Catholic Church says that she is, what is going on with these these apparitions when we see the fruits of these things? We see healings and people coming to faith and I mean I mean Satan can't divide the house against itself, right? These things have to come from God. But I mean, how does a how does a Protestant explain that? Well, that's I mean, I can I can tell you it's it's there's a there's a couple things going on. They either would say that the whole thing that it's all a lie that those things aren't actually happening, that the Catholic church is, is lying. That's so that's one thing. So they would say, well, that's, they're not true. Or they would say, maybe there's three views. The second view would be that this is a demonic manifestation. I mean, and they say, well, the Bible Mm -hmm. says that even Satan can appear as an angel of light, you know? So Mm -hmm. they would say, this is the devil trying to fool people into being Catholic and into worshiping Mary, which, you know, the Bible also says that no one can say Jesus is Lord with, except by the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, I've never seen a, an American apparition that, you know, didn't affirm Jesus as Lord, that's for sure. But, you know, and then the third thing, I guess, you know, and, and, and there's probably some Protestants that would say, well, maybe those apparitions are true, but that doesn't mean I have to become Catholic, right? Um, I think it's like a lot of things. It's the the responses can vary, but I, I remember feeling like, what do you do with this stuff? You know, what do you, how do you deal with these things? And then when I started learning about like Fatima and Lourdes and, and, you know, even, even the stuff that, that I've seen, you know, that I've experienced with, with going to Mejigoria and talking to people over there. I mean, I have seen some stuff over there that, that I can't explain. And, and seeing some, the fruits of that and seeing how that has changed lives and, and, I don't know how you deal with that apart from the reality of what she's doing. I mean, I was looking at the other night with my wife, we were looking at pictures online of, of when she appeared in, uh, you know, Egypt where you've got millions of people who had seen this over this Coptic church and, and there's photographs of it. And you talk to these, or you see these interviews with witnesses who are like prominent people who aren't just crazy and what do you do with that? <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. It's 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 amazing to me when you just allow yourself to open, to have your eyes open and look into it. It just seems plain, and you just go, "Wow, how did I miss that? <clears throat> you know, how did I miss that?" 
And again, that, you know, that's how I try to present that to people. You guys, it isn't, well, as a Catholic, why do you have to do this? It's, Hey, you don't want to miss out on this amazing gift that God has given to us, the motherhood of, of, of Mary, you know, that's a gift. He didn't have to do that, but he, he chose to do that for a reason. Why, why would you want to miss out on that? You know, but I mean, I understand not everybody looks at it that way, but I think once you start to see it, it's there, <clears throat> you know, it's like that old adage that whatever you're looking for, you're going to find. And if you allow yourself to look at that and go, okay, is this real? Is she really, uh, you know, who the Catholics say she is and, and who the Bible says she is and, and, and allow, you're going to find that you just will, you know, but if, if you set out to say, oh, well, it can't be true. My, my presumption is that the Catholics are messed up and wrong and that everything they believe about Mary has to be wrong. Then nothing will probably convince you, but you know, shouldn't say that because I mean, I, I read a, or I saw the YouTube video of the Harvard professor who, who was a atheist and then she appeared to him in a dream and, and now he's, you know, a Catholic apologist. So, um, <laughs> you never know what, if you get her after she, when she comes after you, you're in trouble. I mean, that's that, that, like you said, Keith, with the intercession, it's, 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 it's amazing. You know, it's amazing what she's up to. Okay. Um, since you, you talked about the Harvard professor, uh, I I have a friend in Egypt. She found it through the internet and all that stuff. But this is how she converted. She was a Muslim, and um, it was Ramadan, and she was reading the Quran, and she started to read a doubt, the truth of everything. But she was really troubled by it because Islam, duh. So she prayed. She fasted all day. So she prayed as she went to bed, and she said, um, I don't want to doubt. I want this to be gone. Please send me a vision of Muhammad. Send me a dream of Muhammad. So she goes to bed, and in her dream, uh, Christ appears with Our Lady behind her, and she knew that she had to be Catholic. And she had never met a Christian, talked to a Christian, Catholic, anything. You know, she lives in Egypt, very kind of, yeah. And that's like, she's Catholic now, thanks be to God, baptized and all that. But I'm like, yeah. She keeps showing up, and I just, I just love it because she's like, you know what? You don't want to, you know. Some people don't want to hear it, see it, but you know, this one lady in Egypt and her husband are willing to hear and see it, and she will just show up there. Um, we were talking about the apparitions. I was, um, I was at a conference in Wisconsin. Did you have you guys ever been? I mean, Keith, it should be really close to you, Wisconsin, isn't it? Close to you? Um, <laughs> the, That's not um, too far. Yeah, I'm still learning my geography, but I think that all these places are similarly freezing. Um, it's called Our Lady of Good Health. It's the only approved apparition in America. Um, it's like it's in the middle of nowhere. Like you go and it's just this, you know, farms, corn, nothing. And then there is this apparition side. And um, and we were talking about like, why does she keep showing up in these like random places? And, um, and I thought about, you know what, she probably shows up in cities too, but nobody really listens because, you know, hey, can you come back tomorrow? Or, you know, we're busy with this. And I think like at the end of the day, it comes down to whether we are looking for her and her son. That's why like some Protestants, despite all the evidence, they will not see or accept who she is or, you know, her, what her role is in the salvation 
or than somebody in the middle of Egypt who has never, you know, who has never even asked for her inter- intercession, but pleaded to God, she just shows up. You know, it's just, do you want to see the truth? You know, at the end of the day, is your heart willing willing to change? And then she is willing to just pour out all these graces for you. <laughs> That's so fascinating. And I've heard other stories too of, uh, of, of Muslims uh, seeing visions of Our Lady. I mean, it seems to be um, certainly one way sh- that 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 she is revealing Christ, uh, her Son, to people who otherwise wouldn't necessarily be open to uh, the Christian or, or Catholic faith. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, and like she never went to a Protestant church. Like actually, she could find some. No, no Catholic wanted to talk to her because they were afraid of the Egyptian government. And um, so she found some Protestants who were willing to, but she's like, no, 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 there needs to be Mary. And the Protestants like, no, she's not that important. And this like Muslim woman's like, no, I'm pretty sure she is because, yeah. So, yeah, because um, that's, she, she, you know, she leads to the fullness of the truth. And, um, and I think in Muslim lands also everybody knows like this, do you know, like Jesus, son of Mary? You know, as I said from the Quran, like she's so prominent. Like as soon as like this woman shows up with her son, everybody knows like, oh, that's Mary and that's Jesus. And, you know, and she's willing to show up if, if people are um, asking for it. <laughs> so, Keith, you mentioned before that you didn't want to be one of those Catholics who uh, who downplayed Mary uh, in your conversion. So I'm curious to know how does Mary kind of inform your Catholic faith these days? Well, um, pretty prominently. So first of all, you know, just the just the the Rosary is a huge part of my life, and so that that in and of itself is, is huge. But you know, right now. My wife and I are going through um, Father Richard Gately's 33 days of uh, Mary consecration, preparing for that. And we've started doing that together, and that's been amazing. And then right now we're in the midst of a, of a nine-day novena uh, to the Immaculate Conception. And just I'm just like all in, brother. I mean, I'm, I'm like I, – I, I asked for her intercession, and I – I feel like she's guiding me. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. I mean, the the book that I just finished came to me, I believe, through her, you know, it, and it, it came to me clear as day while we were praying a rosary on our way home from Mejigoria. We're, we're leaving, we're praying a rosary, and then out of nowhere, this download just hits my brain, and I have this book, and I, I, I wrote the book mostly at a monastery uh, in Illinois, which is another cold, freezing place with corn everywhere, <laughs> Daria. And um, that's where we all live down here. And every day I would go I, where I would stay um, to go down to, to eat or to go down to the chapel. You go down the stairs and there was this giant portrait of, of Mary that I would have to see every time I would walk down the stairs. And I would always look at it and I would always just think, man, you know, she's here with me. She's she's given this to me. So in, in many ways, I feel like my, you know, what I'm trying to do these days to help teach people about Jesus and, and to help explain the Catholic faith through my YouTube channel and other, other means, in, in some ways, I feel like it's all because of her, you know, <clears throat> which if, if I would have, you know, Keith from 10 years ago would have freaked out to hear that statement. But 
I, I, I know what it means to me now. And I feel in many ways, like, you know, I just want to give this over to her, you know? And, and I, and I know that that's not about idolatry or worshiping her. I know that that's really the best way to Jesus. And I love, I love, um, I love that part of my faith now. It's, it's something I, 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 w- I, I can't imagine living without. <laughs> you know, something that was just uh, formative, hugely formative for me in understanding Mary was uh, when Mary, you mentioned this before too, Keith, when Mary's, uh, when Jesus is at the cross his, with his last breath, I mean, he would have had to, he would have been, he would have been literally choking to death at that point. He would have had to push himself up on the cross to say those words to John, you know, behold your mother, behold your son. Uh, what the earliest, uh, what, what the early church believed about that, some of the commentaries on that from the early church, um, I, I, I read the idea, and this comes from the catechism. The catechism highlights this. Um, uh, and the catechism, for listeners who don't know, is kind of the compendium of all the things the Catholic Church believes. But in in there. The, 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 the church describes Mary at the foot of the cross as experiencing labor pains, the labor pains of giving birth to the new church, which just totally blew me away. The idea that Jesus's death and then resurrection is kind of the beginning, you know, the sealing of this new covenant, this new kingdom. And that, and that her watching her son die on the cross, her pain, her agony, is a kind of labor pain because she gave birth to Christ and is now, through his death, kind of giving birth to the, the church um, because, because he gives her to John as her mother. So, the idea of her being mother of the church, I know, in that, that mothering, that mothering is this kind of agony, kind of labor uh, at the cross as she watches her son die, but then knows that that also is, is giving birth to the, the, the church and all the believers that would come subsequent to that. I mean, th- that framing of, of Mary as mother of the church, mother of all of us, that, that Christ gave on, on the cross, not just to John, but then in turn, and the earliest Christians understood this, in turn to all of us, and that she kind of is 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 mother of all the believers that came afterwards. I mean, that to me was this just hugely uh, comforting and in- incredibly uh, eye opening thing. Like you say, you, you just feel like uh, I don't know how to put it. But it doesn't sound like I'm I'm doing something wrong for an evangelical listener. But it's this this idea that she's she's with us. She is mother to all of us, and that in a very special way. Uh, we can approach her and ask her to to pray for us, like like a real mother, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's a, it's a it's a wonderful gift. You know, she's a wonderful gift. Daria, how does how does your understanding of Mary inform your daily faith now as a Catholic? Um, as I said, it took a while for me to get here, <laughs> but um, one of the biggest helpers for me was the rosary even though I had all these good intentions to pray the rosary after I became Catholic um, I didn't really start praying it um, after I got married my husband has a great devotion to Our Lady Um, he credits his own conversion um, to her and he prays like all the mysteries every day uh, and through him through his devotion I became a lot more regular uh, praying the rosary and um, and I just spiritually benefited from it significantly. Again, 
it took a long time. And that's one of the things I tell people, like, you may not like it, just, you know, pray one decade a day, you know, stop the world and pray, pray one decade a day. And, um, and now that I am more used to it, so it's part of my daily life. And sometimes, you know what, out of five mysteries, I may like focus on maybe one, but that's, you know, one more than <laughs> I would have otherwise. And she, you know, she's, she's content with that. So that's part of it. And um, we did a, a family uh, consecration a few years ago in 2016. And um, in a way, she really blessed our family since then. Um, we are a lot closer as a family, a lot more prayerful. I feel a lot more comfortable in my uh, in my own motherhood because because I didn't have a good mother. She she's become my mother. So like she in a way has been slowly teaching me how to be a better mother, how to love better. And um, so daily, it's four little ones. We have four, uh, eight and under. So there's a lot of turning to Mary daily and I like when I get really frustrated like she's the first one I turn to uh, because as you say um, she, I know that she hears and I know that she will always answer and I know that her son is just willing to like let her let his mother bless the world like he did in the wedding at Cana so that's that's how my daily life is and I think there's always more um, improvement you know, like you can never have too much Mary. Um, but uh, I'm so glad I found her. And I think it really made me make peace with my own womanhood and motherhood. And I think maybe in a world when like this male and female thing is so confused, like we really need her a little more in our daily lives. <laughs> That's so well said. I'm curious what you would say, Daria, and I'll start with you, and then and then Keith, and then we'll close. I think uh, what would what would you want non-Catholic Christians to know about Mary that you, I mean, maybe would have wanted to know uh, much earlier in your journey? What's one thing you would tell a non-Catholic Christian about our Blessed Mother? Yeah, I think definitely. It sounds a little weird at first, but that she's the new Eve and the new Ark of the Covenant. I would ask them to see the parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament, how and how God used her to fulfill, fulfill all the prophecies in the Old Testament. And I think that would help them see the continuity and how, um, how God wanted us to honor her and revere her. Um, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, especially, you know, for Protestant brothers and sisters. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, just look into the Bible. She's there, but she hides herself really well because she's the most humble. Uh, you know, unlike Eve, she just doesn't go after the fruit. She's she's the humble one. I, I, I agree with that. I, I, I The way I say it is kind of the same way. I just would say it like this that everything the Catholic Church teaches about Mary, it is, it has its roots in Scripture. Some of it more explicitly than others, but the roots of it all come from Scripture. So, and the reason why I say that is because, you know, for most Protestants, all they want to think about is the Bible. And right. this idea that the Marian doctrines are are 
anti-scripture or not in scripture, I would point them to the things that Darius said and said, let's look at the, let's look at the typology. Let's look at the parallels and then let's see where that takes us. So that would be the first thing. But then the second thing I would also say to them is, you know, their objections to the teaching is about the blessed mother are a relatively new position in the world of Christianity. And that's something that I don't think people really comprehend. I think they think that their view has always been the mainstream view, but then somewhere along the way, the Catholics went a little bit crazy. And I would help them to understand that, you know, these views about Mary and this, this understanding of who she is, that this is the historic main Christian worldview. And it's that this is what mo- the vast majority of Christians all throughout history and throughout the world have believed. It's not just a, a, a new weird thing the Catholics dream, dreamed up, that, that, that their, their objections and their problems with it, that that's the, you know, the view that's the new and innovative view. Yeah, oh, that's such a good point. And, you know, I'm thinking of this, too. This is not exactly about Mary in particular, but I think it was Marcus Grodi when I had him on this program a while back who said, even a good Catholic looks like a bad Christian to a Protestant Christian. And by that, I mean, you know, you see, I see Keith Nestor out there praying his rosary, kneeling in front of a statue of Mary at a Catholic church. I think, oh, here's a guy who's worshiping Mary, who's who's uh, praying repetitive prayers on these beads, who's doing everything that my not my, my evangelical Christian worldview says is is wrong. Yet, 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 you know, you are being a very, very good Catholic and practicing your Catholic faith, which, as you say, is is the the mainstream way the faith has been practiced for the, the most of Christianity, you're practicing that faith in a really meaningful, real way with rooted in, in biblical theological uh, realities, not just made up nonsense, but it looks to me, or would look to me as a non-Catholic Christian, to be, to be you being a bad Christian, right? So, so there's, that's a situation there that, that, that poses a difficulty, for non-Catholic Christians, it looks like you are being a bad Christian when you could be an incredibly pious Catholic, but you're you're operating at, at, at different worldviews, different paradigms here. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And that's, again, why I feel like it's, you know, to be honest with you, I don't think the Mary stuff is the best place to start with Protestants, but sometimes it's where you have to start because that's the first thing that gets thrown at you. Um, so... <laughs> But everything that you said is, I agree with 100%. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> of course I do. I have yeah. to agree with anyone whose name is Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this has been really fun. I think a fantastic conversation. Uh, and I want to give you both a chance to let listeners know where they can go to learn more about both of you. So, Daria, where can people go to learn more about uh, what you are up to? Um, I am up to a lot of um Teaching, I'm teaching long division, my man. So it's kind of life is a little boring, changing a lot of diapers. But other than that, uh, my website is um, daryalittle.com. That's D-E-R-Y-A and little in, you know, not big, little.com. So um, I try to put everything I kind of uh, do over there. So that's the 
first stop to go. And my books are on Amazon. So go buy my books. The babies need diapers and they eat a lot. (laughs) And your new book on the Latin mass is is fantastic and so necessary because uh, the Latin mass, as I think Keith would also attest, is becoming incredibly popular. Um, and 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 your beginner's guide is, is is incredibly important, I think, to get a handle on on what's going on there and unlocking some of the incredible beauty and power of the Latin Mass. And there's very little Latin in it, so no worries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Keith Nestor, where can people go to uh, to learn more about you? Well, I have a website. It's just keithnestor.com. And then I also, my YouTube channel is just Keith Nestor, and I post videos um, every week, um, a couple times. And I also, my book is available on Amazon.com, The uh, you know the Convert's Guide to Roman Catholicism, Your First Year in the Church. I'm really excited about that. My kids are out of the house, so they don't need diapers, but they need college tuition. Um, so uh, I, I, I'm excited <laughs> about that as, as well. And then uh, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, so pretty much wherever people are, I try to be. I'm not on Twitter anymore, though. I, I, I'm locked out of my Twitter account. I can't figure out how to get back in. So <laughs> if you go, if, I am on Twitter, but I, I'm never there. I think we can both attest, uh, Daria, that, that Twitter maybe is not the best use of time anyway. <laughs> I don't no, really care anymore either. I'm like, I, Oh, fantastic. Hey, I want to thank both of you for being on the show. There'll be links to both your websites and your fantastic books in the show notes for this show for listeners to check out. I want to say thank you to both of you. God bless you guys and your families and just the fantastic work both of you are doing for the church. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cordial Catholic Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I think it was one for the record books. It was fantastic. One of the best I think we've had on this podcast so far. Check out the show notes for this show in your podcatching app or at thecordialcatholic.com for links to Daria and Keith's websites and to follow what they are up to. They are fantastic people to follow. Be sure to check them out at their websites. That's at thecordialcatholic.com for show notes. I'm at Cordial Catholic on Twitter, The Cordial Catholic on Facebook, and emails can go to cordialcatholic at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys, so please do email me. Please do reach out. I love hearing from you. Please subscribe to or follow this podcast wherever you find it. Please leave ratings and reviews if you can. Those help push the podcast out to new people. And if you want to support this podcast financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. Even one or two dollars a month goes a long way to supporting the mission of evangelization, which underpins this whole thing. You get access to a special behind-the-scenes podcast, access to bonus content and early access to podcast episodes, and $5 or more a month supporters get entered into draws for books every month as a thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. I am praying for you. Please pray for me, and we'll talk again next week. Thank you so much, and God bless.
This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcafe. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.